right. Welcome back to Inside with Outsiders. I'm Jeremy S. Gary, and today's special guest is Terrence Tuberty, who is the managing partner at In Good Company Hospitality, also known as IGC. Thank you for coming. Thank you, pal. Good to be here, finally. I, and, and I appreciate you making it all the way to Jersey just for me, man. Holy, dirty <laughs> Jersey in the building. From Rockwell, from Long Island now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Rockville Center, the little hamlet of Rockville Center. <laughs> Moved out to Long Island about four or five years ago from, uh, from the city. But. From the city. And, and uh, you're originally from Rockaway, right? Yeah, grew up, uh, grew up in the Rockaways, specifically grew up in a small little island called Broad Channel, about 1,000 residents, Houses on the stilts on the water. Um, you pass it when you go to Rockaway. So, oh, oh, okay, I didn't realize. I thought you actually grew up. Well, I mean, yeah, I grew, I grew up, lived in Rockaway. Yeah. You know, like it's, it's all the same. It's basically the same thing as Jersey City and Union City. It's very, oh, yeah. gotcha. you know, it's the same. It's really the same people, the same vibe. Um, but yeah, so went to, I went to high, uh, junior high school in Rockaway. Went to grade school, like so. Yeah. Played basketball. You played ball. Well, you could say that. Maybe. <laughs> you know, that's how we had the mutual. You know, we had a mutual friend. Right, yeah, yeah, rest in peace, yeah. Greg Harden. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Um, but that's that's uh that's interesting. So so you you've become like you've become like the face of Rockaway in regards to like introducing Rockaway, in my opinion introducing Rockway to mainstream hospitality. I mean, the perfect example is the fact that you, you opened up the Rockway Hotel. The Rockway Hotel, that's a project 10 years, a lifetime in the making right. for, for, for some of us. So yeah, my, my family's been out in the Rockaways for four generations since the, 19, you know, the early 1900s. Um, and from there, we never left. I think actually out of you know, 50 cousins, and I have four brothers. You're, you're Irish, by I'm the, the way, right? Oh, yeah, I'm right. Irish, yeah. <laughs> and so... Uh, so is Bams, by the way. Bam is yeah. uh, Irish and, and Puerto Rican. Interesting mix. That is an interesting mix. Not it's the really same, man. Island communities, man. Ireland's an island, <laughs> yeah. Puerto Rico's an island. <laughs> and they both drink the same, too. That's, that, oh, that's okay. true. <laughs> but, no, we've been out there for, for 100 years, and, uh, and me, I think it's me and my other cousins were, like, the only ones that actually leave... And live outside of Rockaway. So, right. oh, we've been down there forever. Um, my father was in the restaurant business for, 50, you know, forty years. We actually took over his restaurant, and uh, you know, in two thousand eight, and opened up Bungalow Bar because we okay. saw Rockaway, even for ourselves, yeah. we saw Rockaway shifting. We were starting to have kids. My brother was starting to have a family, and there was really nowhere for them to hang out in Rockaway. And so we're like, all right, let's 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 take over. Our father's restaurant, which at that time was basically a clubhouse for him, right. smoke cigars and all that. But uh, that's where Bungalow was like really the first, not the first, but that's where it kind of started with Rockaway. Was that your was that your first venue? Uh... No, no. So I just back, my father was in the bar business and the restaurant business. And 1978, he opened a place called Pier 92. It's funny, my dad was too. Yeah. But my dad was uh, a famous bartender, actually. Oh, yeah? He was, he was on... Uh, I forgot what channel he was on. Aren't all bartenders famous? Uh, who's actually on TV for his recipe for uh, eggnog and and mind you, my dad's from Iran, right? So, so it, it's uh, it's not really uh, Persian tradition or culture to be uh, a bartender. I mean, in now what's it was Iran when he grew up. Now it's the Islamic Republic of Iran, so alcohol is illegal. But uh, he he was known for uh, I think his, his margarita recipe and that he he bartended in the Rainbow Room. Oh wow, with yeah. Dale DeGroff. 
yeah, Dale's a big time bartender as well. I'm sure. Yeah. You know, there's. there's we're talking like the 80s now. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah that Dale DeGroth was like is being credited for like modern bartending. And if you look at, you have a lot of mutual friends that yeah. know that know Dale. I'm sure. Very well. You know? Yeah. But yeah, no hospitality is what was in our blood, mm. and uh, you know we grew up in the business, and my father. I think worked us when we were five, six years old. I remember helping out at the restaurant, and as you grow up in it, you hate it, right? right? And like, and then you realize, oh, there's money in my pocket, right? At 12 years old, 13 years old, and all your friends, seventh, eighth grade, are like, yo, get me a job. I'm like, yeah, I don't know if it's legal for you to work, but yeah, all right. Let's, <laughs> you know, my father's like neighborhood kids. He, yeah. he hired them all, and. And uh, some of them hated him and some of them loved him. Right. But you kind of saw my father had one place and he dedicated his life to it. And then it's funny, like I'm 41. Right. And uh, and I remember when him now you remember like your father's age when. You, yeah. Like, and that's scary as fuck. Right? Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. Uh, like, I, I, I mean, especially for me, because like I'm 42. I was 17 when my dad was 42. I don't have any kids. I can't imagine having a 17-year-old right now. Yeah, so yeah. it's seeing that kind of... I was a 16, yeah. And my father, around 41, you could tell he started pulling away from the business. Yeah. Because the business is hard. It's, and yeah. he always said it, it's a young man's it's a young man's business. So when we started and opening up our first places, um, it was Metro 53, really, was my, with my brother D and some of my cousins. It was on 53rd yeah. between 1st and 2nd. Okay. 2002. Wow. And uh, and it was extremely successful, really successful. No, I remember. I remember those whole about yeah, those yeah. East Side bars. I remember like it was a a very popular place for college kids. NYU because the dorm NYU dorm wasn't too far. There was no, a, no, fifty third between first and no. Second. I know there was there wasn't. My friend had a, like it was like a remote NYU dorm, which okay. was like away from campus. Uh, for some reason, it was up there. I remember us going there. It was a popular post work and post college. Yeah. East Side hangout. Exactly. And, and then from there, we, we opened up a place on the Upper East Side called Saloon, which was one of the original, like, dance clubs, cabaret. You were, in 2002, like, cabaret licenses meant which is something. ridiculous, man. <laughs> but like, it meant something. You need a permit to be able to dance. dance. What is this, Footloose? Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. So it, it's a crazy. It, yeah. Now it's, I think, done. But yeah. we had a cabaret license up there. So we opened up a place called Saloon. Before that, it was a place called Madison's. But you got to look at, like, Coming, coming in the business, there was no mobile DJ booths, right? Like the, right. that technology only really started to happen with CD burners and CDs yeah. to, to bring in speakers every time and set up at a, at a local bar. Nobody, it was the jukebox, right? right? Yeah. And, then it, and then, you know, the late 90s, early 2000s, it, you started to see mobile DJs within, within small bars, mm -hmm. you know? And so... Uh, and Serato helped out with that too. Serato, yeah. I mean, dude, I used to walk into, when I, when I DJed, Used to have a case, you know, lug the, lug the, uh, you know, all your crap in. There's and it was a great excuse to have your friends join you because you're carrying the crates. That's true. I got into some good events <laughs> carrying true. crates in for like DJ Reach. Yeah. Got into Paris Hilton's party in Miami for that. Like, yeah. Random. But they also <laughs> let you kept, you know, like friends of mine who DJed at like China Club back in the, yeah. they let China you Club. keep the crates there. Yeah. And so, but yeah. But what was your DJ name? DJ. Lame as fuck. DJ Terrence. <laughs> DJ Terrence. <laughs> nah, I mean, it was like... Yeah, that's not promote. that bad. You didn't like make up a, a like DJ Magic or something. Yeah, but, like but there was no Facebook or... Like, yeah. there was no like... It was you DJed, you were good, 
you knew people. Like yeah. I went to high school in Manhattan, went yeah. to college Xavier, in the Bronx. Right? Yeah, like that that circle of of influence. Like people would come. Like they know that other people would be there and like have a good time. So. Right. You know, DJing brought me, it, it, it made me understand another side of the business that, that um, you know, I already, I kind of picked up from my father, but DJing was like the fun factor part of it, right? right. And like how to bring people up and how to bring people down, yeah. how to level out a crowd. You could feel like when you walk into a club, like you'll know like, yo, this, the, the energy's not right. Yeah. The DJ controls that, music controls that. Of course. That. So... Um, brought me out to the Hamptons. I was DJing out there. Oh, really? So well, this, is, this is obviously before you opened up. Uh, this was venue. actually 2000, uh, just 2001. So, so the you, summers before we opened Metro 53. And then. Um, so I'm guessing you also promoted as well. And yeah, I think the DJ was the promoter, yeah. right? Like, so uh, it, it, it just it made uh, a bigger circle of networking and, and, and all that. And like we were East Side Saloon guys. Like I didn't. I didn't get to know you because I didn't hang out at the cool clubs, bro. Sorry, <laughs> you know. But sure, uh, but you know, I think what you've established with your business is the fact that you know, we talked about this last time we saw each other. Like, there's the cool clubs everyone knows about, but then like their longevity is is minimal, right? And then there's yeah. an actual business plan where you have longevity. You don't have to rely on everyone else to bring you business because you just created a brand. Yeah, I mean, I, I think we were talking about it because we were at Ludlow House, right? Yes. And that's where Libation was. And yeah. I'm in the room, like, man, this place was like our baby for 15 yeah. years. And I remember the first time we bought Libation off of two, uh, two guys that we, we somewhat knew. And you could just tell the club business was just, you know, just getting to them, right? But we knew we were young. It was 26 at the time. Yeah. And I was like, we'll be able to manage this place. We walk in. They had their promoters. So uh, everybody's all right. Everybody could, you know, everybody, yeah. everybody's got their job here. No problem. And then we just saw like these promoters and us are not going to be, we're not going right. to be on the same page. And we didn't, we didn't really need them. Like right. we had our own network of friends and support and that, that's, you know, grateful. We grew up in the city. So it's yeah. like promoters lasted, I think, two weeks with us, Oof. you know. Uh, I'm sure some names that you'll remember. I'm <laughs> sure. I remember going to a party there right before it switched hands. I think I know who the That's right. Were. Yeah, yeah. So... So, you, like you said, you grew up in the city. What, what was it like growing up in Rockaway in the 80s? I mean, I, I don't know as far as the, the island, the area you grew up in Rockaway, but I know Rockaway was, was a place that you didn't really want to catch yourself at sometimes. Uh, yeah, I mean, look, it's such a dichotomic, like, it's a dichotomy, right? Like, it's a long peninsula, yeah. right, that jets out. It's a, it, was a, it is a transportation desert. Right. It's the A train. That's the only, you know, it yeah. took us an hour and 15 minutes to, to go into high school every day, every morning. And, you know, you have and just poor city planning. Right. So like you have a, a residential neighborhood with one and two family homes that mm. were built there in the in the 30s and 40s and 50s. And that's where my my parents grew up. And then you have, um, you know, then you then in the in the 60s and the 50s and 60s, the GI Bill and all there was public housing yeah. built. And all those summer bungalows that were there and, and where, again, like people from the Bronx and people from Manhattan would come down with their families, Jewish, Italian, Irish. Yeah. The white flight happened. Yeah. And those 70s and 80s there in Rockaway were rough yeah. um, because there was no development. There was no foresight. Uh, and, you know, growing up there, you, you would talk to your dad or your grandparents and you're like, you know, you see the pictures of Rockaway in its heyday and you're like, how come it isn't like that now? Right. Right. And how come, you know, the bars are just underage bars and like, you know, it's, you know, the, 
where we where we you know went to play basketball like it was it's rough man yeah. it's a rough neighborhood and what thank god we were able to kind of get out because of family right and because right. of and not get out but only just improve hopefully right. what what's already there and that 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 comes down from from my grandparents and my parents but the 80s and 90s were I mean were rough in all of New York City for that that was the white flight they call it white flight seven yeah, yeah 70s was like white flight but yeah I mean 80s is when you saw crack the, epidemic and all that yeah, stuff yeah so it so it really really hit and again like I was what 10 in 1991 but I remember vividly like you know you didn't want to get caught on the wrong side of the tracks or yeah. in the wrong neighborhood um, all of that and we've had a couple of interview people we've interviewed here that grew up in the Lower East Side in the 80s I mean yeah. well one in the group in the '90s, and the other one who Pat Pat who who's like grew up in the '70s, Man, late '70s, early '80s. Yeah, yeah, in the LES, he was telling us about like like similarities to war zones, like rubble. Like if you weren't part of a, a clique or a gang, or if you weren't hustling, then you, know, you were you had to find yeah my protection. My you know again, I have a big family, so like we're, yeah. we're we were like a tribe. Yeah, we still kind of are. Yeah, and so and. My my mother was uh, a school teacher in Far Rockaway. My mm. aunt was the principal at junior high school on 180, which was like must she was an assistant principal. Must have been tough growing up and Dude, having that. Junior yeah. high school 180 at Beach Channel, like those were rough schools. I, I couldn't imagine now sending my kid to like what what we went through in in yeah. 180 or, you know, and it goes to show you like there's been progress made and and you know I, again it comes back to like yo giving a Giving a shit about your yeah. own, you know, your own community. Well, what do you think was? When did you start seeing a shift in in like the neglect for Rockaway to then slowly developing? Yeah, uh, the ni- late nineties. Uh, there's a toll on two bridges yeah. coming into Rockaway yeah. that the residents had to pay. Right. So if you lived in Broad Channel or, you know, or my father had a business in Rockaway and lived in Broad Channel, so he would cross the bridge eight, ten times. You told a day. me stories about your dad oh, and dude, the tolls. It's like <laughs> I want to hear some of those, man. So everything that the the TBTA or the MTA has come up with with toll technology, yeah. I swear to God, it's because my father broke every goddamn rule that wasn't it. <laughs> so like you guys remember, like the old tolls of of they it used to be wood, right? Yeah. The toll yeah, toll yeah. thing, right? So my father would just break the toll. <laughs> He'd go right through the toll. And there was no cameras then. So there was no cameras. Yeah. And we're like, all right, well, they're not going to catch him. And he would, you know, break it. Then you started to see the rubber, the rubber thing around the yeah. wood so it wouldn't break it. And then, you know, dude, my, the days of like, I, I'm not going to say if my, my father used to go to Ireland every, uh, yes, every year or two. Yes, this is the story two, I remember you saying. And he would come back with like an extra suitcase of like pence, right? The, yeah. the, the Irish penny yeah right and the irish penny basically was the same size as an mta token yeah. <laughs> and finally they figured that out right yeah. and and it, so they switched that but, yeah. and they, they did the token with the, the hole know, yeah the hole in the middle I I, yeah yeah and like and then right there and then uh i mean the stories don't stop so like there was a toll in the same zip code and yeah. we just thought it was bullshit and right. it was because they wanted they, rockaway was an attraction they made a ton of money off of this bridge and so on. But my father and a, and a number of other people fought this thing, protested it. So they would line cars up on Sunday, like along Cross Bay Boulevard on a Sunday. And my father actually worked at the toll booth when he was a teenager. So he knew how much change they would have. And everybody would get a $50 bill or a $100 bill. 
and they would make the toll collectors uh, run out of change yeah. early on in the day. So what would they have to do? The banks are closed on Sunday. And so they would have to let people go over the nice. bridge for free. I mean, this is the shit that like, you know, now you can laugh at it, but like, yo, they fought for this free toll. Right. And like, even as a for kid. Residents. For residents. Yeah. For everybody. For everybody. But it's still a toll. Well, why, is there a, why isn't there a toll on the 59th Street Bridge? Why? Why isn't there a toll on the Williamsburg Bridge? And we were saying, well, there's a toll in the, on the Cross Bay and the Marine Parkway Bridge. Why? Because yeah. they know 5 million people go to Rockaway in the summer, right. and they're no problem paying you know, that, that dollar. By the way, he's not banging on the table too loud. Sorry. For, no, no, right, no, it's okay. Sometimes um, just do me a favor. Just move the mic a little closer to your face. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. So my, my father, uh, and again, community organizers were like, Fuck this toll. Like, yeah. How do we get rid of this thing? That hurt development. Right. And so in 1999, they got rid of the toll through a deal with the commuter tax that Giuliani was involved in, that the state, you know, Pataki was involved yeah. in. So finally we got rid of this thing. And then you started to see a little bit more development happening because there was un, um, basically unused land in Rockwood, Auburn by the city. Do you think the toll has a factor with the development? Absolutely. Really? Yeah. How much was the toll? By the time they got rid of it, well, the toll now is $4.75. So just equate that to, to you living there and going, bringing your kids to a doctor's office or to a yeah. basketball game, yeah. back and forth of practice, but, but eight wait, times a day. So they got rid of the toll and they re-implemented it? So what they did was they made a deal, said the residents, because of Easy Pass, yeah. the residents get a discount, meaning we don't pay. And then the people, pay, you know, people that had an Easy Pass would get a discount because that's what, that's what happens with all of them. So the toll is still there, right. right? Like, it's still, you know, I say this, like Hurricane Sandy, right, wiped out Rockaway. The only business that was back open fully 24 hours after Hurricane Sandy was the fucking toll. Oh, wow. And, and we had Bloomberg down there, we had Cuomo, and they were charging volunteers a toll. What? Yeah. You go back to my Twitter. They were oh. charging volunteers a toll to go help Rockaway. And finally, somebody was like, what are we doing? Like, right. all right, we're going to block, you know, for next, you know, the next week, we're going to stop yeah. the toll. But like that, to, you know, to me, when you're thinking about, well, I'm commuting, I got to pay a toll here. I got to pay a toll there. You know, that does stop people, I think, yeah. from, you don't think about it. Oh, it's a quarter. It's 50 cents. That's exactly how government so what, wants you to think the, about it. What's the year it. we're talking here? Where this was, was uh, the toll was 1999, but the toll was implemented in the, in the uh, late 60s, uh, when the new bridge, there was always a toll bridge there. Right. But we, you know, when more, when more winter residences um, in, in Rockaway, that's when more people were, were aware of this. Like, why are we paying this toll? It was, right. it was a nickel. Then it was 10 cents. Then it was a quarter. Then it was 50. Then yeah. it was a dollar. Like, when there's a toll, it only goes up. What is the Verrazano Bridge? is like $27. It's absurd. It's insane. Yeah, yeah. 20, yeah. And it was 22. That's and when Moses built all these, you know, Robert Moses built all these bridges, yeah. it was it was it's there to, to to pay for the bridge, and then the toll goes away. That right. that, that never happens. No, I mean, same when when buses increase prices because of gas. Yeah, it stays up. So with with Rockaway, Auburn by the Sea was a huge kind of you know project that was basically thousands, you know, a thousand acres of land, beachfront property that was developed. And that's where Beach 67th Street is. I yeah. think you were down there. Yeah, like yeah. Local. Sur that's uh, a whole new neighborhood. 20 years. Surf and, uh, yeah, Scootin, yeah. all of them are down there. And, 
And so that's a whole nother neighborhood that just, you know, appeared in the yeah. last 20 years. And, um, and the key to the, making that neighborhood successful was obviously local, you know, local stakeholders buying into it and then also giving the right, you know, what affordable housing. So cops and firemen only had to put down 5% to own a home. And so what's great about Auburn is it's a diverse neighborhood, and, but it's, it's also you're living on the beach. And you right. still live in New York City, right? So, so those, those are those are people who live there full, all year round. Those all year are round, homes. All year round. Yeah. When did you move out of uh, Rockaway? I, well, I moved to the city in two thousand two yeah. after college. I was so I went to Mount Saint Vincent in the Bronx, and then uh, I was out. Man, my we lived in a bungalow in college out in Rockaway on like hundred first Street, and and I never went back home after freshman year of college. Yeah. And from there, moved into Manhattan on the Upper East Side. I did the typical. You know, post college, Upper East Side. Yeah. Then all right, let me find, you know, Normandy Court. And then, and then actually, I lived above Libation. To be honest, yeah, for about two and a half years. My wife, my poor, poor wife. <laughs> it was her idea. So. Oh, and um, it was the, the the sound, or just the fact that the block and that whole the area. Block, was, the block, yeah. the sound of the club. So I mean, we were busy Fridays and Saturdays yeah. and, and Sundays, but um, it was an interesting. You know, you learn a lot as far as living above a nightclub on the Lower East Side. But we saved a ton of money, and then we were yeah. able to buy our, you know, buy a home in, in, you know, out in Queens or out in, uh, out in Long Island. So it gotcha. was, so it was worth the struggle. You're a suburb guy now. How do yeah. you feel about that? Yeah, I do. I got the pickup truck. I got yeah. the sweatpants. I'm, you know, I'm Long Island. <laughs> I'm Flid, bro. I'm Long Island dad. Yeah. You know, take the kids to lacrosse. They don't play ball in the streets like they you know, like we used to, you know. You gotta drive them everywhere. Like, you know, when yeah. we were in third, fourth grade, man, we were jumping off bridges and you know, like complete dirt bags, right? Yeah. Now these kids are like, you know, they're so scheduled and they're so it's yeah. like we gotta bring you guys some, were the original outsiders. <laughs> well, yeah, I guess so. Um, but yeah, that's the, the whole lot. I take the Long Island Railroad into work. Yeah, it's kind of nice. Yeah, you know, <laughs> I I'm, I was used to the A train for the, all those years, and I'm like, you know, I, if if teenage you was hearing you right now, they'd be disappointed. <laughs> dude, I I said like I'm telling you, when I first started taking the Long Island Railroad into Penn Station, and people complain about Penn Station, I get it, but there's a bar where you can hang out in Penn Station to wait for your train, like that's amazing. Do you know what right. it's like to wait for the A train out in out in Rockaway? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what it's There's like no to wait on West 4th on yeah. a 90 degree day and, yeah. you know, waiting for that F train transfer? Like, yeah. no, I'll take Penn Station and it's worse. Yes. And Long Island Railroad at its worst than, 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 than the A train any day of the week. So you're, so you're born and raised, right? Where were you born? You're born in... Uh... Born, I was born uh, at St. John's Episcopal Hospital uh, out in Far Rockaway. And then so you're a true Yorker then. Yeah, yeah. Is that, is that what it is? A true Yorker, yeah. Okay. So there's a, there's a brand, our guys at the Bridge Runners have started. Um, it's called True Yorker, and they only give out their gear to people who were born and raised in, in New York. Like almost, they even ask for birth certificates sometimes. Yeah. So it's this thing. I, I wasn't born here. I wasn't born in New York. Actually, I lived in Jersey, so I was born in, I wasn't even born in this country, so. I, uh, I, I don't know if I play into the whole true York thing. Like, I, look, like to me, because I hated, I hate the, the word bridge and tunnel. Mm. Like, to me, it just presents. Mm. Yeah. That's because back in the day, Brooklyn was included in that. Queens, you're bridge and tunnel if you don't live in Manhattan proper. Really? Okay. Yeah. So I didn't you know were. what, but it, but it was used to put people down. Of course it was. Right. And so like, I'm I mean, not, I, listen, I, yeah, I live bridge, in Jersey. Bridge, bridge and tunnel trash. That's what they were called. Yeah. yeah. One, one of those, something funny is I interned at Crowbar uh, when I was like 23, 24 
and you know, about 3,000 people in the venue or whatever, yeah. you're going to have to have all Bridge and Tunnel in there. The screensavers in the office had the Port Authority logo on them. <laughs> That's pretty funny. <laughs> that was hilarious, yes. That was pretty, yeah. Shout out to Port Authority, Bam's, Bam's uh, daytime gig. Good gig. Yeah. Good gig. Um, so, wait, what are your thoughts on the whole... Uh, I mean, look, I just, you know, to me, like, you know, if you're cool, you're cool. Don't... Right. You know, the whole, like, I, I just saw an article about Rockaway being gentrified and all that, but it's being gentrified with, from within right. a lot of it. And uh, people are oh, like, what, you know, about five, five years ago, six years ago, being like, you know, what's your thoughts on, like, Rockaway, it's changing. And, and I'm like, look, I'd rather be, you know, uh, yelped about by a bunch of guys in beards than chased by, you know, by the gangs that looking to steal our bikes. Right. Like, but, but like you said, I think the... Listen, the, the, it's complicated, right? Yeah. But what you said is being uh, developed by local Rockway uh, residents. It's right? the only way it's gonna. Right. The only I think the only way to truly you know, help change your neighborhood is it's it's got to come from within. Right. And and also and and big visions, right? right? And so like people when we were doing the Rockaway Hotel, people were like, "Are you out of your mind?" Right. And and. Yeah, guess so. Guess we are. But, you know, that was 2010 is when we've kind of like, oh, you know, we need a motel down here. We need something. We need a 15 room, you know, uh, with a taco shack. Like, yeah. And it turned into this 60 room. And we just tried to check as many boxes as we can of what we thought was lacking in the neighborhood. Right. And and, and kind of this community hub that we wanted to, you know, create, even though there, there's plenty of community hubs down there and, and, and all that. But there was no catering hall. Right. There was no yeah. banquet space. There was no true um, wedding venues. Yeah. Wedding yeah. venues, just even concert venues. You know, so yeah. like we you look like I compare Rockaway a lot of times to Asbury Park. And Asbury... Good comparison. Yeah, it, it yeah. changed from within. A lot of the locals... And I agree. And, and that's why I think Asbury's gotten so much success as opposed to, like, Atlantic City, for example, who tried to do, like... They didn't go back to the roots. It was people f trying to make it Vegas in Jersey. And as you know, Atlantic City is not... Talking about Rockaway in yeah. the 80s. Atlantic City is still there. Yeah. Oh, and it is sketchy as shit down there. Yeah. It really is. We were just down in like three weeks, four weeks ago? Yeah, we went down about a month ago for a concert, and uh, we got there early, so we ended up walking around, uh, meeting up with some friends and walking on the boardwalk, grab a beer, and man, it's, you know, it's reminiscent. I'm like, this still feels like the 80s. <laughs> the, my grandparents used to bring us to Atlantic City, and uh, my grandfather taught us how to gamble when we were like 16. And they're like, look, if, if you get, if you, they ask you for ID, just tell them your grandfather has it up in the room. You got to go get it. Yeah. And so, like, I've seen, we've seen Atlantic City go from, you know, the, the complete shitholes to the Borgata. Right. And like, oh, this is, you know, Atlantic City's on the right track, on the right track. But, yeah, I mean, COVID Asbury Parks was Asbury Park was on the right track. Yeah, they went back to their roots and and uh, and maintained the character and the charm that it originally had. Yeah, and I see what you're doing with Rockaway. Seems like is that what you're trying to do? Look, I, I go well, back. You, you, you got one piece. I'm saying overall, yeah. as, as Rockaway's development overall. I just like where we grew up. You want to be proud of it, and so like when you when we were bring friends down from college, you're like yo. Sh and show off how cool my neighborhood, like the neighborhood I'm in right now with you guys. Like, yeah. yo, we grew up here. Like, I'm proud of this spot, right? Yeah. And I want to show you all the, the nooks and crannies of that. And to me, it was, it was a real simple, like, idea. Like, 
well, we need a hotel because that will that will help, you know, um, make the groundwork for showing this place off. And there's families that, you know, need a hotel to stay, right? Yeah. Like, like it's just it just made sense to us, right. and it didn't make sense to any bank. It didn't make sense to any lenders, yeah. right? Like we went to four or five hundred different banks and family offices, and and it was a struggle to get to get that built. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, luckily, like that partnership was just really strong to be able to just push through and then mm-hmm. push through to open up in, you know, in COVID, basically yeah. September 2020. And um, and like we were like, oh, the New York Times wrote an article like, oh, does Rockaway is Rockaway ready for a three hundred dollar a room night, you know, hotel or something yeah. like that. It was like, it was almost like a little bit of a hit piece on what we were doing. Like, right. and to me, they completely missed the story, right? Like right. for us, it was like, look, these guys, these guys are pretty successful in Manhattan, right? They grew up out in Queens. They, they had some bars and restaurants in Manhattan and then they wanted to invest all of their money and their lives, you know, with a few other people into this community. And you think it was going to be like, um, like you know, like this big corporation. It's like no, man. Right. Like we're we're beer and burger guys right. that are trying to do the right thing to make sure like our kids have something. And they didn't commend you. They kind of uh, were cheeky yeah, about yeah, it. Yeah, it was it was ridiculous. Yeah. So, but uh, no, Rockaway's ready for a six hundred dollar room night or a thousand dollar room night well, or whatever it is. Look like, at the summer. Yeah. Look at the you were fully booked. Every article that comes out to Rockaway for some reason somehow. In, a, in an inadvertent way, puts it down. Let me ask you, these, these, these writers, maybe you don't know, are they from New York? No, exactly. they can't. Yeah, they've been here for 10 years. These are the same people that, that shit on uh, Virgin Tunnel. Yeah. Right? Oh, you're not in Manhattan? Like, oh, where, where do you live? You live in Jersey? You live in Queens? Yeah. I live in Manhattan. Oh, where'd you go up? Wisconsin? Yeah, cool. You yeah, I mean, I, it's an understanding of the New York City neighborhoods and what, and Jersey's a part of that. Jersey City's a part of that, yeah. right? And Northern the, Jersey, yeah. Yeah, the, and this, you know, we go back like the CYO connection or the AAU connection yeah. or like we're just a bunch of small little neighborhoods that make up this larger city and the connections and the networks go back generations. Yeah. And so when somebody moves here from Ohio and like, oh, I, you know, I want to live in the Lower East Side and blah, 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 it's like, yeah, great. that's they great, go, but yeah. don't shit on yeah. the other neighborhood that, you know. Yeah. I mean, my favorite place is that, the place I think really showcase the charm of this part of the country, New York City, and like the old mom and pop shops. Like, there's a Cuban spot a few blocks away from here, a $6 breakfast, $9 uh, dinner. Like, those are the spots, the authentic spots. Like, mm-hmm. the little Indian spot that all the cabbie goes to, or the uh, the original Italian deli, or the beer and, the beer and burger spot. Like, yeah. those are the authentic places. The trendy and 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 occasionally you'll get some a local reinvents that concept, but understands the culture it comes from. It's when somebody comes that doesn't know the first thing about it and tries to create a trendy spot, and that that's to me that's not real New York. Yeah, no, New York's big, but it's real small. Yeah. And so you know, people like I, I see that like, there's so many gems in New York City, and what's great to see is like. You know, a, a place like Roland Roaster and Brennan and Carr getting its due on from these, you know, foodie food yeah. blog is like, man, we've been going there since we were kids. Yeah. And, and raised candy store in LES. Yeah, exactly. For example. Yeah. So um, that's the beautiful thing about New York City. Like some of us are never going anywhere. Like it's yeah. like, like, oh, I'm going to move to New York, Florida. Like, oh, I can't wait to get out of here. Like, yes. But like, are we can we leave here, man? Like this city's pretty 
fucking phenomenal yeah. when when the city's on its on its game. I mean, for so many reasons, I think a lot of <clears throat> a lot of culture that is adopted all over the world originates here. Not everything, obviously, there's or things originate in other places, but I think a lot of this is where trends tend to start, in my opinion. And I'm, I guess, I am biased, but I hear from people who aren't from here who come yeah. here. Uh, there's a lot of charm. There's so much it has to offer, like this melting pot and all this stuff. It's it's definitely a place where. If you had asked me if I would live elsewhere, I'd say I'd like to experience living six months here, living six months mm-hmm. here. But I think based on a home, I don't know if there's anywhere better than this place. Well, I think that's what attracted my my grandparents, my family to, to Rockaway. Yeah. And because it, you are living on the water or the beach or the bay, mm-hmm. but they worked, you know, many of them worked in the city. They were yeah. cops and they were firemen or what, yeah. what have you. So. I mean, um, the, the Irish immigrants are a huge part of New York City's like history. Yeah, it's. I uh, mean, <laughs> enormous. It's yeah. I mean, again, it's it's that you know that immigrant story and that immigrant yeah. story is the same. It's the same story of when you know Puerto Ricans started to move in in the fifties and sixties, right? And mm-hmm. it's the same story of the Ecuadorians or or East Indian moving in the in the eighties and nineties. Yeah. So it, nothing's changed from that story. We right. we all want something better for our kids. We want something better for our families. Yeah. We want a safe home. Yeah. Hot shower. Yeah. Like, I don't think anything really as 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 there's no difference between the the Irish immigrants and the Italian immigrants, and the you know the the South American immigrants or the Mexican immigrants yeah. of today. There's no difference. It's it's real simple. I hear. I mean, and it's funny. I've realized like everybody wants the same thing. I realized that through my travels. Like I remember, and it really hit me when I was I was in uh, the. Uh, Yunnan province of China. No, no Westerners there on vacation. I was just really, I was there for a wedding, right? And uh, Who's getting married? my friend's cousin got married to this woman that's part of like uh, government. You good? It's good. Uh, the, the, um, so she's like, her family's in government there and so on. But anyway, we're there in a place where like no one else really travels to as a tourist. And I was just walking around this little town. It's kind of like uh, a town where people might go on vacation that, that are from the area or from China. Mm-hmm. And I saw the same thing I saw there that I would see in Rockway, for example, in, in Miami. And families going to dinner together uh, after dinner, walking around and seeing whatever is interesting, having ice cream, just having a good time, that everyone wants the same thing. And once we all realize that, we'll all get along. But Yeah, <laughs> yeah we're, not, we're not much different. No, no not at all. We saw that coming back from like the pandemic when when finally New York allowed, you know, us to open, uh, and people were coming into our spots, bungalow or even in the city, and were just crying to say thank you, thank you, like you're here and yeah. that human connection. Oh, 100 percent. And 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 you know the hospitality industry was there to kind of you know, I think we played psychologist, uh, you know, and again, it, like, always have, but yeah, more. Yeah, so, we yeah. always have, but yeah. even then, like, because we were dealing with our own yeah. shit, yeah, and it's like now we're dealing with you know people, the confusion and the projection and the mm. you know this person there. I mean, the stories that like just even coming out like a bungalow bar, right? And this is what's beautiful about America, and just you know, I tell a story like there was a dude with a Black Lives Matter T-shirt, and there's a boat, you know, that has a Trump flag, right? And so we're a place of business, right? right? And and to us, same thing. If you're cool, we're cool. Right. You treat me with respect, you're not gonna have any problems here. Yeah. So of course, somebody somewhere has to get offended by something. Yeah. And 
it's real simple. And, and, and you know, and, uh, you know, the person was like, I can't believe you're serving the, the you know, uh, that Trump flag. And it's like, look, I, do you, would you like us to change your seat? Right. right? Yeah. There's about 10 guys on there. They've been drinking all day. They're on the boat. They're about to leave. You want us to go down there and, you know, with one, one of our bounces and, you know, say, excuse me, we're like, does that make any right. sense to this? Or right. how about let's have a conversation with each other? Because those guys don't seem like bad guys. You don't seem like a bad guy. You're all here in the same place. Yeah. You know, let's, you know, that's cool. I agree. But, you know, modern day technology doesn't make for that. It makes for polarization. Right. So. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. And we're all getting our own bubble. Exactly. And, and we got to break those those bubbles yeah. and that self-talk and that that inner ego. And, and it's funny what you mentioned about the pandemic and, and people like mental health and wanting connection kind of uh, created a different dynamic for outsiders. Right. So when we got that partnership that, with Volvo that allowed us to pick business back up um, in a safe manner, we were like the only show in town for social environments that were safe. So we were getting people that were just like telling us, you know, we, we haven't seen other people have been social in about eight months. Or it was a weird dynamic, but it, it, we got people that really connected. And I, mean, I saw some people who wrote some amazing reviews for us because they were just so touched by being be around other people and, and being hosted. You know, stuff that, that hospitality and so on we do, we, that's part of the biz. But uh, it was just... I felt good about what we were doing. Honestly, I felt good because it was an outlet for me to be social and see other people, but I felt good being able to offer that and improve mental health. Yeah, I mean, you know I'm a big fan of, of, you know, what you're doing. I've been a big fan when you You, first... And you, along with a few other people, uh, told me the importance and how good it was before I even realized how good it was. Yeah. I appreciate that. No, of course. I mean, like, what again, the pivot that you were making way before this pandemic... Yeah. Of just like your own mental health. Yeah. And say, man, I we just need to do more stuff outside. Yeah. And and it just does it doesn't need to be around drinking. Right. That's fun. It doesn't need to be around. And it's not anti-drinking. It's not anti-consumption. It's just more balanced. Realistically, like we're trying to, if you're trying to create a habit and and something sustainable, let's be honest. Like doing hikes and active stuff and eating kale and granola and not partaking in anything that might be social and fun or, or, you know, consumption of something that might not be the best for you is unrealistic in my opinion. Yeah. I think it's about balance. So for me, I just got tired of having to consume to be social. Like, you know, and I was making money off of uh, venues and events that were based on generating revenue through alcohol sales. But I don't, I don't like that as being the only social option for us in New York or in any urban environment. Yeah. No, it's, it made, it made plenty sense to, to me uh, early on. And, uh, I want to know outsiders five years from now. What does it look like? I've been getting that question uh, three times this week. Really? Yeah, I mean, I've been catching up with friends I haven't yeah. seen in a while. And uh, the five-year plan, not to get into specific, specific details, but it's really to be in more cities, um, increase our uh, memberships, or we're going to add a membership component soon. But uh, uh, just scale and, and have in more cities, have more frequency in every city we launch, increase the frequency like we have in New York, and uh, create this global community that gets together, whether it be our destination trips or just if we have uh, members that move around and travel a bunch to be able to create this global community. I always use this as an example. I think Fight Club without the fighting. Yeah, no, it's you know? the, the, you know, again, like these membership clubs, Soho House, all that, and... 
what you're but creating. Inclusive. inclusive though. Yes. Not exclusive. Exactly. Yeah. And that's what that's what resonates with a lot of people that yeah. you don't need to be around four walls to be a part of a club. Exactly. And I think sometimes some people have a hard time grappling with that. People always ask me, like, why don't you know join this club or join and I'm like, I fortunately have a, a strong, you know, I go to the bar for my club. Right, right, network, exactly. <laughs> you know? It's about communities. Being yes. that, that listen, we're, we're humans are tribal, right? So you need to have that community that you can, that you feel like, what we call, what I've been calling outsiders and the need for outsiders is your chosen family, right? You, I mean, you can't choose your family. You can choose your friends. But having a community of friends when it's sometimes if you're not from here or even if you're from here, your group of friends aren't up on things you've just you've become uh, a fan of. Like yeah. you, you like being outdoors now. Maybe your friends, your friends aren't much outdoor folks. They'd rather hit, hit, sit in the bar. But you want to, you want to go out, and you can't find people to do that with. Now you do it with us. Now you have a group of friends to do that, and that's the focus of it. Like we're not tour operators in the traditional sense, right? We're not just bringing people out to the outdoors and providing experience. I'm like, okay, cool. Hope you liked it. Write us a good review. No, it's like, okay, we we're creating group of friends where like you can hang out with with the people you meet outside of our events you can reach out to us for for resources like if you're doing something really cool like you know if you're opening up a hotel we'll blast out on our network because we want to make that community aspect we want to have a community that can help our members grow because if they grow we grow and that's not the objective but you know bring everyone up Around you doesn't necessarily mean you go down. There's always no. there's, there's, there's uh, abundant. There's a world of abundance, so there's always room for everybody. Yeah, yeah, one thousand percent. So, uh, so to the uh, back to the Rockaway Hotel. Let's do some more stuff, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. I don't know when this is gonna air, but we're working on something uh, in the spring. Uh, probably this will probably air before we we launch that, but. You know, I think the value proposition you talk about, right? Yeah. Like that, yeah. what the Rockaway, what we try to do with the Rockaway Hotel is, is that we're not just a hotel. We are, a, a, you know, a larger community. There's yeah. a fantastic arts program that uh, my partner Michi, yeah. um, you know, curates. And it's, it is about inclusivity and it's about respecting and honoring, you know, Rockaway's past, but also about, you know, the future. Right. And so one of the, one of the things that we're just, we have an outdoor pool, and what yeah. do you do with an outdoor pool? Yeah. We're on the ocean. There's a there's a there's a group of people that jump in the ocean every Sunday, yeah. and that, you know they do their own like mini polar plunge. Yeah. But from us, we we put some saunas out at the pool deck, yeah. and we're doing this kind of hot cold therapy, and it's like it's packed, and people yeah. want day passes all the time. So. Yeah. Hopefully something like that happens. Uh, yeah, yeah. With we're, us. we're working on that. And so then uh, there's more stuff. I mean, yeah. You know, I think your idea of, of getting wellness involved in in a hospitality business that is also you know a lot heavily based on uh consumption but involving other aspects so that's not the only value proposition you know entertainment um and stuff that's not purely in those four walls yeah for sure i mean again what wellness isn't just about the physical the mindset yeah. it's it's the it's the mental mindset right. that's probably more important than the physical. Yeah. So, I mean, um, st you know, staying and engaging with, with other people is, is really important. And then also like checking in, right? Like, um, like we haven't caught up in a while and then we had, we had coffee and like, dude, it was such a great, yeah. it was such a great thing to catch up yeah. and like, yo, what happened to that dude? What happened to that dude? And then like, maybe I should reach out to that person. Yeah. And so that's what, that's what I, hospitality at the, at the end of the day is all about. Yeah. So I'm gonna get into some uh, 
some questions that are that we asked um, most of our interview interviewees. Um, what is uh, what motivates you to keep on pursuing your goal? Like your, you know, what's, 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 what are you inspired by? Sure, motivation. Mm -hmm. uh, if I if I remember twenty years ago, my or when I was a teenager, to have money in my pocket was to be able to go and get, you know, I'm a guy, you know, I like restaurants, look yeah. at the size of me. So, <laughs> so if I had money in my pocket to get the meal I wanted, yeah. like go to that steakhouse or go to that right. burger, your motivations obviously change through life. And when you reflect on back on like what, why did we do that or why? And it always comes back to um, the people around you. And so like, Ray, you know, my proudest moments were, were, were when guys who managed for us or were or bartenders who used the hospitality business to, as a segue to, to get them to where they need to be, whether yeah. it was to become a fireman, to become a doctor, to become a real estate, whatever it is. And so, like, my, my again, like, my proudest moments always, like, you know, we were able to be that segue for them. We were able to give right. them a job. And so they were able to become what a hero. Right. Yeah. Like they're able to become who they want, a teacher. So, you know, at the end of the day, my motivation's always been like, yo, how do I get that person a job or can I get them work? Yeah. And that hopefully gives them agency and motivation and, and all that. I mean, if, if you think you get into the business, into the bar business because you're going to make money, you are sorely, sorely right. mistaken. It's just, I always saw it as a stepping stone. Yeah. Now, for me, it was like, what's that next step going to be? But I knew with what I was in was promoting my network was going to be was going to be the solution to finding out what the next step was. Yeah, I mean again, my my partner Jeff is motivating for me, uh my my brothers motivating um but and and so like yo, your motivations might change but they really just come down to like you what your the core what your core uh being is, right? Yeah. And and it was always to help people and and you know, people need help, you help them. Right. The bar business or the restaurant business, the hospitality business is a means to help people. And it's always been that way. And so, you know, whether it was, you know, post 9-11 and being like that place where people came and congregated because they were they were, you know, sad and because yeah. they were frustrated. Post Hurricane Sandy, all of our places were destroyed. Well, you know, we were getting help. That was, right. you know, we would never expect from people in the hospitality and then COVID. Right. Feeding hospitality workers or feeding yeah. first, you know, first, you know, first line people like that's what this business is always, always about. Mm -hmm. That's my motivation. Always like how do we how do we help this person who wants help? Some people don't want it, but that's true. That's, that's a great I and mean, that's very selfless. Um, what is a dream that you've had to achieve? I should have an answer for that right off the bat, uh, <laughs> but it was to open up a hotel. Right. It so was. An, is, there, is there another dream? There's a manifest, you? right? Right. So. Um, or maybe you could tag on to that dream. Like what's the, you know. The, I think the dream f for me would be um, how do I, you know, looking at the second half of, you know, the next 40 years right. of my life uh, and making sure I'm making the right decisions towards whether it's um, whether it's staying in this business or not. But I think the dream for me would be like selling IGC hospitality and it's what we do and the services that we do and some of the places that we have, you know, an exit for that would yeah. be probably, you know, a dream. 
for that. And okay. that could be five years. That could be 10 years. Right. That could be tomorrow. <laughs> but knowing you, you'd probably do something else. What would that next Probably. Thing be? I yeah. think for, I, 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 you know, for me, like we, again, we use the hospitality business to help people. Yeah. So in some way, I, I think we would be looking at whether it's helping other entrepreneurs realize their dreams, kind of like what we did on that retreat. Yeah. Something like that, yeah. whether it's coaching and, and, um, but we but do that. We do that every already. day. I was saying yeah. you already consult with other uh, hospitality groups and, and businesses. So. We do. We do. So like, I think that's something that we're probably. And fulfilling as well. So I can see that. Very being, much so. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> uh, uh, what is your favorite part of Outsiders? Favorite part of Outsiders besides Jeremy? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Besides me. I mean, isn't that everybody's favorite uh, part? <laughs> What's great about it is people, and, and this, is, this makes me happy, but uh, you know, when I was doing parties, everyone came mostly, I say, 85% because they knew me, right? Yeah. It's funny. Now I've created Outsiders, and the joy I get when people show up, I'm like, hey, are you also here for Outsiders? I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm here for Outsiders. <laughs> see. They don't know me. Yeah. Which I like. Yes. Because it's beyond gone beyond just me. Critical mass. Exactly. It's happening. It. Yeah, it's happening. It's happening. So uh, my I, got, I, yeah. I said this about outsiders. I, I love the pivot. I love the ingenuity of the thinking of like, you know, daytime, you yeah. know, a daytime and it could be a nighttime activation, yeah. but getting outside. Yeah. It's a primal thing yeah. humans need we need to get outside yeah. and it's safe to go outside right exactly <laughs> it, it, thankfully like yeah i mean it was like you're, you're genius to have started this during the pandemic i'm like <laughs> no. what i yeah. started this five years before yeah. the pandemic started they said that about the hotel you genius opened up my hotel no that was you know yeah. long time exactly but i mean i'm thankful that i started it when i did so that by the time the pandemic hit yeah. we had a we got all the systems in place and we were, you know. It's what you do. It's yeah. what you do. You make people feel, you know, you make people feel at home. You did that when you were, you know, when you were hosting at, yeah. at all these clubs and it's what you do. So yeah. it's, it's I easy. enjoy it. Yeah. It's fun. I, mean, I like meeting new It's people. good to see. Uh, thank you, man. Appreciate it. Uh, now, it's a, it's a funny question. What is your most embarrassing moment? No one is topped Javier yet. We, we, talk, we interviewed a couple people yesterday. Uh, I don't. I know you don't know Javier, but Javier's embarrassing moment was amazing. He uh, getting on the school bus had the Adidas tearaway oh, pants. No, 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 the M, It was an MTA bus. Oh, it was an MTA. Yeah, bus? Yeah, it was an MTA bus. It, so it was, it was a. He was going to school though. Yeah, he was going to school, and he gets on the bus. Door closes on the on the, a piece of his pants. He walks up the stairs, rips the pants off. He's in his tidy whities oh, on the bus. Oh man! <laughs> so that's the best. That's the best one so far. I guess a similar moment. First of all, let's go. Is it pants or shortied? What's that? When, oh, when, shorty? Oh, yeah. When uh, somebody gets, when somebody pulls down yeah, your, your pants, short, yeah. is it pants or shortied? That depends where you're from. I, I say pants. All right. Yeah. No, I grew up being, no, you shorty. got shortied. Okay. Because most of the time it was in shorts, it yeah, wasn't yeah. pants. But anyway, uh, most embarrassing. We didn't discriminate pants or shorts. Us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone got it. We got, uh, I guess I was in third grade and I was in the ocean and it was, uh, it was like in September, we had like a heat wave. And so, you know, waves were coming over and I had like board shorts. A wave came up, took off my board shorts. <laughs> and it was like, I had to be fourth, fifth grade. I mean, it's well aware oh, that yeah. like, you know, boys have penises and girls have vaginas. Yeah. Like, oh, and I had to come out of the ocean in front of like my whole family. <laughs> and I gave me a towel, like crying, you know. So like that was. That's comparable to hobbies. That was, yeah. That's like, good. You jumped up on it. Like you either go under the wave or over the wave. And for some reason I went over the wave and took my shorts right <laughs> off. Gone. 
Yeah. Wait, why did you just stay in the water and have somebody bring you a towel? Why would you? Because come out of the water? well, because it was getting rough. It was like oh, it was okay. like a there was like a hur- I shouldn't have been in the water, but <laughs> it was a hurricane. <laughs> there was like a hurricane off the coast that had like sick waves, and and um, but I had to go out further enough because then I would have got trampled by the right. wave. Like yeah. I had to go out. Yeah. You know. All right. Good story. Thanks for sharing that. <laughs> yeah. No problem. <laughs> um, last question is: there, Is there anything that I haven't asked you you want to share with our viewers? No, I, I, I mean, no. I think uh, I think we covered a lot of ground, man. Yeah. I think we. Uh, I saw one of the. I saw your talk on so at Soho Works with. Yeah. Um, and and it's about yeah. and what resonated me about that talk was, one of the panelists mentioned about integrity and, uh, you know, the faking it till you make yeah. it kind uh, of thing. Yeah. So Sabrina Horn is kind of like a mentor to me. She wrote a book called uh, "Fake It Don't Make." Uh, yeah. Fake it, don't fake it. Excuse me. Uh, and it was this whole panel discussion on, on people's experience with uh, starting their own businesses, being authentic to yourself, dealing with imposter syndrome, like yeah. everything involving uh, integrity. Yeah, I mean, I mean, for 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 me, the the integrity part of just like again, I go back to this. I our core values for IGC is just that we call it 4H, right? And so when we were able to align. How do we replicate ourselves and yeah. how do we, you know, get our management teams to understand our way of our way of thinking and guide them? So it was it was about at the end of the day, it was about integrity, but it four H being human, being hospitable, mm-hmm. being humble, and being hungry. Yeah. And 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 so and we use that as basically like a compass, but aligning, if I could say that like, you know, any entrepreneurs or anybody kind of like going back to your core. Your core beliefs and your core and like, am I making the right decision? Well, staying true to you. And yourself. don't believe everything you think. Right. You know, and that and that was, that is an everyday struggle. I think for everybody. Yeah. So there's no there's no there's nobody's mastering that. Sure. Okay. So last last segment of this interview is five rapid fire questions. So uh, I thought those were the five. <laughs> no, I got five rapid fire for you. Ready? Yeah. What's your favorite city other than New York City? Miami. Okay, that's been a, that's been a few people said that. I like Miami. I like Miami too. We we'll hung out with you once in Miami. Uh, we did hang in Miami. Yeah, once. that's right. Uh, <laughs> uh, if you could do any other profession, what would it be? Anything. Good question. First thing that came in my first thing that came in my mind was uh, be a fireman. Okay. I don't you know. know why that came to my mind too for you. <laughs> yeah, oh, I, you know that's that stereotype uh, Irish. <laughs> Irish, yeah, an Irish from Queens. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Irish from Queens. <laughs> exactly. <man. laughs> okay. Um, what's your biggest fear? Biggest fear, not leaving. Uh, not my biggest fear is losing my patience with my children. Okay, and that's a very rational fear. Right? Yeah, yeah, and you do. You yeah. lose your patience with your kids, yeah, I'm man. Sure. And so I, but I see my twin brother deal with like, you know, kids will act out and I see him like catching himself sometimes like, yeah, you know, <laughs> yeah. you forget like yeah. when you were a kid and like yeah. what adults really are, man, we're scary monsters. Yeah, <laughs> it's true. So and I know I'm, I'm extra scary, but <laughs> yeah, that's actually that's uh, I never thought about that as being a, I don't have kids. So uh, that's actually a great that's a great response. Thanks, pal. I like that. Um. If you could open up any venue concept, anything, and you have to worry about money, just your own passion, what would it be? Can I close them or? <laughs> What's that? <laughs> no, I'm saying. Oh, if you close your venues. 
I already, I already have. We already have I'm enough really, venues open. No, but I'm saying like not a real, real one. Like something that would be just for you. That you would like. You don't care if anyone else likes. You don't care if it makes money. Yeah. Yeah. So actually, we're doing it. So um, my friends of mine are in the Poconos. Yeah. They bought 40 acres. I, we invested with them, and they're doing a 31. You know, their plan is to do tiny cabins. Yeah. And there's this one stable that's this big house that we, they converted into like this beautiful house, but like you could li- you could sleep where the stables yeah. were. So, what venue is something like that that balances nature with with um, obviously the perks of modern day? Um, right. Yeah, all of those. Like, I'm not a big camping guy, but I'll camp in a in a. Well, it's funny. <laughs> Hurry up with that because. You know, we did a couple of glamping weekends and uh, great campgrounds that we worked with, um, but we want more options. Yeah. So let's make that happen, man. For sure. Um, and the last question is, what's your favorite food? And uh, about well, to see, what'd you bring? What'd I bring? Yeah. I mean, it's that's a tough question for, for a 300-pound Irish guy. So, <laughs> you know, and I, I share. I bring... Bread. Bread. <laughs> okay? And I'll tell you why. I love bread. Bread's great. The bread is the basis for every type of favorite food there is, if you think about it, right? So bread, ham, egg, and cheese, bagels, all about that. Pizza, bread. You know, uh, what, what's, what's great with bread is, is, uh, is everything, right? There's nothing that True. goes wrong with bread. So I thought about, like, my favorite food, or chicken, roasted chicken, whatever. Dude, the basis is bread. Mm-hmm. So there's a bakery across the street. I'm like, yeah. you're not the first person to bring that. Um, we had um, Amber bring uh, bread and butter, but bread from Balthazar, butter from of uh, course from Balthazar. Uh, butter again? Uh, the Kerrygold. Kerrygold yeah. butter. Yeah, there was there was like a run on that during the bulletproof coffee stop. No, like, yeah, yeah. You couldn't get your hands on it. Yep. Mm. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's so good. Like you can, it's so basic. And my mom is French, so obviously I love bread too. Every Every culture has yeah, bread. Absolutely. Some bread is better than others. Like, of course. Irish bread. I don't know. You know, Italians would be like, that's not real bread. What is Irish bread like? It's hard. <laughs> <laughs> you need lots of Kerrygold yeah, butter. Yeah, yeah. It's more like a cracker than it is a bread. Yeah, Irish soda bread. It, yeah. It's funny. When we were at school at Fordham, like we were, you know, Fordham University. We go into the bakeries on Alva Avenue. Like, hey, Ma, Ma, do you have any? You have any Irish soda bread here? They're yeah. like, get the one. There's not bread. Get out of here. Like, oh, mom, come on. Yeah. But it's bread. Uh, Always. Bread's great. And I can eat tons of that. So, but I appreciate you uh, coming on this show and uh, taking your time to make your way all the way to Jersey for me. Anytime. Anything for you, bro. And um, let's, let's get some more stuff done between uh, outsiders, you, and then anything even outside of that. Absolutely. All right. Looking forward to it. Thank you. Eat my bread. (laughs) Peace out, guys. Nice.